listeners to the season one finale of Dark Tides, a weekly improvised audio drama series that uses role-playing game mechanics. I am your host, show creator and narrator, Aubrey Lydon. Now, uh, warnings, warnings because warnings are good. Scary stuff. Uh, if you if you don't like scary stuff, don't listen. Also, spoilers. Also, spoilers. If you don't like spoilers. Spoilers for the end of season one, guys. If you if listen that to this episode, clear, the end of season one will be spoiled for you, okay? So just keep that in mind. Keep that in mind. You can never go back. You can, <laughs> you can never go back. That's what I say to myself every time I step into this recording room <laughs> with my co-hosts, Chester Lydon, BJ Ingate. Sometimes I've been tempted to just change the last names and see if anyone noticed. Well, this was your last opportunity. Hello, everyone. My name's BJ Ingate, which is my last name. Oh, we put up his hand as though he was going to interrupt me. Okay, I play Alistair Stern, a 19-year-old emo uh, who has no friends. Well, he kind of has a couple of friends. But they tase him often. But they, they often tase him. That was spoilers, by the way. Um, see, we're already getting into Spoy the spoilers. For last episode. For last episode. Well, the episode before. Um, yeah, and he's a bit of an emo, and he has a bit of an aggression problem. Uh-huh, um, but uh-huh. he's working on that. Uh, he also sees... Feathered creatures sometimes <laughs> sees things. <laughs> sees things. Uh, that is that is me and who I play, and that is all. I, yep, that's me done. You gonna go now or am Hello. I? Gonna, yeah, <laughs> I play Ernest. I am also who, Chester. What, who is your name? I am also oh, Chester. Yeah, you, yeah, yeah. I shan't give myself a last name. <laughs> I shall not be contained. How are your labels? Yeah, so I, should, I play Ernest. That's all it is. <laughs> a lifelong Boy Scout and nature enthusiast has been given a chance to fulfill his lifelong dream of becoming a park ranger. This dream has led him to the Hook Bar Archipelago. Now, uh, now uh, what uh, is the Hook Bar Archipelago? No, no, none of that's important. <laughs> all right, here is the important thing, listeners. This is the finale of season one. That implies, and I'm going to be very clear about this, there is a season two. When this episode airs, we're going to be going on break for about a month or so. Um, Don't worry. If you're on our Patreon, there will be plenty of other things going on. We have some very exciting uh, new tiers coming out that are going to involve new rewards, a whole other show that we will be playing exclusively on Patreon. So if you get bored in the month or so that there is no Dark Tides coming out, you can... um, Give us money and uh, hang out with us on there. You can pay us to be your friends. That's how that works. Yeah. Patreon.com slash Dark Tides. Yeah. Yes. Check it out, guys. Check it out, guys. Otherwise, if you wait about a month, maybe a little bit longer, um, there will be season two coming out. And we will be posting stuff on social media about that. Maybe we'll make check it very out clear. social medias. Check them out. You can check them out at Twitter at r slash. No, that's not how it works. Dark Tides Pod and on Reddit at r slash Dark Tides. And Facebook at facebook.com slash Dark Tides Pod. Yes. So all those places you can check out news and updates for season two coming out. But for right now, for right now, just uh, take a deep breath. Don't get ahead of yourself. Center yourself in the moment. Prepare to enjoy the finale. Don't at me. I don't want to know if you're upset about who dies and who doesn't. (laughs) Let's see how many characters make it to season two. (laughs) I'm not that bad. Not George R. Martin. (laughs) Yet. I don't want to be. Just He's a hack. Just He's wait a for hack. season three, guys. Yeah, just wait for season three. Hoo-ha. Um, yes. Hoo-ha. Hoo-ha and all that. 
Now, do we have... Do you want to do special things with the things you guys do? Fun facts. Um, I, I, don't, I don't have one, but I can make one up unless you want to just jump straight in. All right, can we jump in? The cast has given up their last opportunity to do a fun fact for these characters. Oh, it's fine. It's no longer <laughs> time or place. We no. have serious work to do yes, on this serious podcast. We have a lot to resolve in an episode. We have a lot to resolve. Yep. So for the last time this season, let's dive right in. across the sky, the inhabitants of Hookbar can feel that something is coming. Something is stirring from its long sleep. In the woods surrounding Port Staples, the gnomes peer from their tunnels. Rain splashing on their faces, they cower. Deep in Hon Caves, the changeling Cheshire turns from her drawings and turns her face to the sky. Even deeper, below the waves, the amphibious kappa can feel a change in the water. The archipelago itself holds its breath, waiting. Inside the mountain of Hookbar, Ernest, Marsh, and his newfound acquaintance, ally perhaps, but certainly not friend, Sherman Grimshaw, are trekking deeper and deeper into an unknown cave, following a horde of the lost, and they hope Wilbur. Now, just outside the mouth of the cave, Alistair has uh, 
screwed his courage to the sticking place and he is venturing down after them. Alistair, as you move forwards into the darkness of the cave mouth, you switch on your torch. You can see the muddy footprints of dozens of people who have gone here before you in the last hour or two. As you head your way down, make a roll for me. That's a five. Okay, you are about ten minutes behind Ernest and Sherman. You have made up a significant amount of time since Sherman and Ernest had a bit of an altercation and also had to stop to deal with Nancy. You have managed to um, catch up a fair amount. Now, as you continue heading down, you hear, if you stop for a moment, you still your breathing, you can hear movement from deep below echoing up through this uneven winding cave. Okay, but I assume I can't tell whether it's Ernest or not. No, you cannot. Okay. Now, what are you planning? Um, Alistair doesn't have a plan. <laughs> He's so dazed by what's happened and he doesn't understand why Ernest knows that this is where he's supposed to go. We return now to Ernest and Sherman as you trek deeper. What is Ernest thinking about? Ernest is trying to ignore the fact that he's back in a cave again with someone who he doesn't trust and has no real allegiance to but he's focused on his one responsibility here and that is to right his greatest failure in his entire life by any means possible and whatever the cost of that being he is prepared for that uh roll for me please starting with a nat 12 uh sherman goes to put out a hand to stop you but you're already way ahead of him you have heard the shuffling feet and the sound a strange mumbling sound coming from deeper into this cave and you realize that you are beginning to approach the end of this tunnel where it widens out into a larger space and although it's hard to see in the light of your torches you can see that there is a light coming from further in as you forge ahead you become aware that this space that you're heading into must be larger because the sound of your feet uh, as quiet as you are seem to echo a little more I'd like you both, or just rather Sherman and Ernest, to make some stealth checks for me. Ernest has advantage, I believe, on these yep. things. Ten. All right, ten and an eleven for Sherman. Uh, you begin to move slowly and quietly, keeping low. As you exit the tunnel, you realize that you are stepping into an underground cavern. You're emerging into this large space and by the dimness of your your hidden torches as you're trying to um, not advertise your presence you can see that you're standing on the top of a high ridge of stone looking out into this cavern uh, this ridge sort of descends to your left in it's hard to tell if it's man-made or natural and then man-enhanced a path that leads down into the space itself. But from where you are, you are kind of on a parapet looking out over this scene. Yeah. And what you see is a large, dark underground lake. Oh. Still black water that extends further than your torchlight can illuminate. And it is perfectly still sitting at the shore of stone. Down below you, you can see that the lost have assembled. There is maybe... 
30, maybe 50 individuals down here standing, and you can see in their midst Wilbur. They're giving him a little bit of space. Everywhere he moves, they shuffle to keep a little bit back from him. It's hard to tell if they're afraid, if it's if it's more like a magnetism that keeps them just at bay from this little figure as he moves. They part, uh, and Wilbur is moving towards the water. You have caught up with them. Okay. Ernest kneels down and looks at Sherman and says, Okay, so to give you the, the long and short of it, uh, there's a hive mind that was controlling the loss, but I don't know if it's controlling it now. Uh, from what I was able what Dr. Pike told Chief and then he relayed to us is that... Uh, something else is using that kid as like a, a speaker to control the lost. It's no longer the hive mind that's controlling them. Apparently, that's what the doctor thinks. But I don't know if we can really trust her. Um, but there's, some, there's other things going on here. The Children of the Tide, they have this thing called Mother, which I don't know exactly what that is, but they wanted Wilbur to give to Mother. And last time they were around, they, want, they were trying to kill Wilbur I think uh, so I don't know if this is mother now and there was something else that was controlling you know um, Herb Herb the guy in the radio tower something else was controlling him I don't know if that's mother I don't know if that's the hive mind but it was talking to us and we've got to take we've got to, we've got to get him out and I don't know if that's what you want to do but that's what I've got to do I've got to get him out but as soon as I do that all of them are going to turn on us uh, Sherman is kind of crouching next to you he's got uh, an elbow on his knee the other hand is kind of on his chin it's like the the Spider-Man meme from Into the Spider-Verse <laughs> and he's going hmm turns out tapping into the uh, the Ranger network listening in didn't give me all the information I was hoping for so thanks for that. That's good. Um, yeah, sounds like you should get the boy out of here. I'm going to uh, go do what I came for. And he pats his very large hiking backpack. He's like, um, good luck with that. See you later. And he's going to go and scramble down the um, the trail. I was going to consider calling out. But it's like... Right, he rolled a two. He gets halfway down. He slips. He skids. A shower of rocks uh, kind of fall down. You see some of the lost turning to look. Uh, and a few move towards Sherman to investigate. And Sherman is, like, trying now to uh, hurriedly sneak away around the side of the lake. This is going to pick up his walkie-talkie and talk into it. And I was like, very smooth. Very smooth. Now, uh, what are you doing? There's a moment's pause and there's a crackle of static. And then Sherman's voice comes through panting. He's like... Uh, you uh, d- don't worry about me. I've got a job to do, and um, yeah, damn it, they're still following me. <laughs> like, look, kid, you want to get that um, that little boy out of here? Just go for that, um, and I'd recommend you get out of here uh, pretty fast. You're supposed to say Ranger out. I don't like you. <laughs> well, you can stick that right up. Oh, it cuts out off. <laughs> <laughs> okay, uh, I was going to turn back to the the group and I'm guessing they're a little ways off Ernest mm-hmm. is going to take out the flare from before Ernest kind of juggles the the flare for a second and sticks it in his belt 
Points of no return. It's all right now. You're going to lead them out. He's going to make his way down towards Wilbur. All right, roll for me for approaching stealthily. <laughs> no, that's a seven. All right, you you slip and slide a little bit, a few rocks fall. You make it to the bottom, but um, only one or two on the outside have noticed your presence. They're mostly focused on Wilbur. You can see that they're crowding right to the edge of the water. Actually, roll for me to recognize the smell in the air. Eleven. The whole place the water the room everything has that smell of the lost Mm. it's a an odd organic smell almost a little like something that is rotting and dying but it's hard to exactly place what that smell is but you now recognize it's absolutely the smell of the lost that's the smell of this lake too yeah now wilbur is stepping into the water his little bare feet dipping into the dark fluid. And as you, you notice, it is actually dark fluid. This might not be water, or it's water that has been discolored by something. And it begins moving out into the water itself, the ripples from his feet spreading out. He is still muttering to himself, and as he starts stepping into the water, he raises his hands out, and you can see that they are trembling slightly, and his voice, which is already hoarse from overuse, begins to rise in volume. The words are meaningless. They're not even language. They're just sounds that his throat is making. And you can see as these ripples spread out across the dark, still surface of the lake. And then the ripples begin to return as an answered call of movement in the water. Ernest is going to move around to the right, staying away from the main core and move to the water's edge. All right. As you move to the water's edge, you begin to realize that your... Do you have your torch on? Mm Mm-hmm. Um, Your torch is making it harder to see, but there is actually bioluminescence in the water here. Tiny threads of what look like maybe algae of some sort floating in the water, and they are glowing a dim purple and red, and they seem to fluctuate between those two colours. As you can see, these ripples are returning to Wilbur across the water. Uh, It seems to stir up the bioluminescence and it glows brighter and it begins to illuminate the roof above the cavern itself and be illuminating out across the cavern. You can see how wide this lake is. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Ernest takes a second. He breathes in, he breathes out, and he's going to dash for Wilbur. All right, make a roll for me to avoid getting tangled up or caught in any of the lost. That's an eight. All right. Uh, It's difficult. You have to shove a few of them aside, but you move fast. You duck under arms. You squeeze between people. You shove people aside. You're moving deep into this crowd of people that are clustering around Wilbur. As you break through, you break into that meter or so bubble that he seems to be in, and you're at the very edge of the water. You're actually going to have to step into the water to be able to get to him. Yep. All right. Make a roll for me. All right. As you step into in the smell um, floats into your nostrils and you reach out for Wilbur but in a snap movement he turns he spins on the spot to look at you and you are fixed by his eyes that are glazed white and the chattering sounds coming out of his mouth and then the lost begin to crowd in they begin to grab you they're trying to pull you away um, as this mechanism to protect Wilbur takes full force. You can still grab Wilbur, but they are grabbing you too. 
Ernst is going to reach out with one arm and grab Wilbur like, on the shoulder, the upper part of the shoulder near the neck, just grabbing onto a handful of clothing, and he is going to pull the flare out from his hip pocket, and he is going to, like, ram it into his leg to activate it. Right. At the same time that this happens, Alistair, you've been moving faster. You've been going as fast as you can through this uh, dark tunnel you finally burst out into the open of a cavern you can smell this smell as well this smell of decay and rot you can see down below you a crowd a seething mass of the lost at the base of this lake you can see that the lake itself the lake itself is lit up with these purple red shifting lights and again that image in the back of your mind from your dream is triggered. You can see Ernest in the very center. He is in the water, reaching out for Wilbur. A light flares in bright red, illuminating him as hands from everywhere are grasping for him, ready to pull him back and pull him to pieces. Uh, so Alistair sprints out of the the cavern, out of the corridor into the big cavern and kind of skids to a stop as he sees the group of the lost um, with the, the flare light in the middle. Um, and I think immediately, instinctively, he would um, take out the gun and just fire it twice into the ceiling just to make a very loud noise and try and distract as many of the lost as he can. Um, and then after that, he's going to holster the gun and start scurrying as quickly as he can down the rock slide towards the group. And while he does that, throwing rocks at them to try and get as many as he can focused on him instead of Ernest. Okay, as you do that, the... Firing two shots into the ceiling with loud cracks. Um, they echo out across this space. Out of the corner of your eye, you can see that the um, the ripples coming back across the water towards this shore seem to have increased when you've done that. Also, about a quarter of the loss, maybe 10, maybe 12, on the outside of this cluster have begun breaking away and are heading for you. And heading for you got quite a bit of speed too. Uh, rocks are dropping down. I've definitely sensed the danger. Meanwhile, Ernest, as you've reached out and taken a hold of Wilder's shoulder, you feel that same familiar feeling of your empathetic connection that you've been developing ignite, but it's like touching a live wire. It's like as soon as the contact is made, whatever is inside Wilbur has latched on and grabbed you and is pulling you in powerfully. You are definitely being dragged down and pulled forwards and you actually drop a little bit out of consciousness as you do so. It feels like you are being pulled at speed through dark water you can hear the two gunshots go off, but they are far in the back of your mind, outside of your consciousness. And then you're in this place, this dark, still nothingness. This is not like any of the other spaces you've been in before. This is not like memories when you've touched a dead member of um, the Splitfin crew or even Cheshire. This is a different place. This is a still, quiet blackness. And in that space, you wouldn't describe it as a voice, more like a presence in your mind that belongs to someone else. This is a force, this is a will, and it comes with a flood of memories and emotions. At first, it's just sense memories, things that are there and then gone, and then suddenly there is one image, one that you can focus on. It's a small, neat garden laden with snow and a window pane sparkling with frost. There's a stern face of a man frowning. You know him as father. You're frightened of him. And he says your name. Alanya. 
then you are gone. You're back into this whirl of emotions, this whirl of memories, and then back suddenly into a concrete one, a laboratory table, a dead test subject, a small rabbit that has died. And then again, gone into a whirl of fear and panic of ambition and rage. And then again, wham, a concrete memory, a menagerie of creatures, things you cannot describe, things you don't even know the name for. And they are howling and hooting and whining. And then gone again, lost into this swirl of memory. And in that memory, it slows, it darkens, it solidifies into this cold, black, nothingness space that you found yourself in. And a single thought, a single pressing thought that screams into your mind like a siren, washing away everything else, even washing away who you think you are. This is the thought. I will not die. I will not die because I cannot die because I am mother. And then you are hauled backwards. You are pushed back out of Wilbur's mind like an intruder. You are expelled and you are thrown backwards. Uh, the connection breaks as you lose touch of Wilbur's shoulder and those blank white eyes stare at you. Right, you are being grappled by several members of the Lost. Make a strength check for me. 10. All right, they get an 11, which makes sense. Damn! They roll with advantage. It was an 11 and a 1. All right, they're grabbing onto you. They are drawing you back. You are still clinging, trying to hold on to Wilbur. But you can see, even in that moment, that the water around him is moving. There are ripples now as other things are moving under the surface of the water itself. And then you can see things begin to break the surface. You can see arms, you can see shoulders, you can see the dome of a head as figures, humans, are beginning to break the water surface. And you can see that these two, these are pale figures. You can see that they are coated in this dark mucus that slicks off their skin and begins to run down them almost like oil. These are generation upon generation of the lost kept in time in this lake. This is the hive mind. This is the nest. This is going to make another grab at Wilbur. Using, trying to use the, the flare to burn away the ones grabbing him to give him enough room to grab Wilbur and pull him out of the water. All right. Um, you fling the flare out around in front of you. You're trying to ward them off. As the flare touches or gets too close to any of these hands, they do jerk back uh, instinctually from the heat. Something in the primitive brain of the bacterial organism that operates the lost knows that fire is a very bad thing for it. As you do this, you do get another chance to grab for Wilbur. That's a natural one. All right, you scrabble for him. You are holding out your hands, but you cannot quite touch him. And you can see that Wilbur is stepping back slowly further into the water and this crowd of the lost are coming out behind him. Uh, you are stuck almost between two armies. All right, Alistair, what are you doing? How close am I by this point? I've been running 
I'd say you're about four meters from Ernest and between you and them there's maybe about another ten. Okay, great. Um, I'm going to... So Ernest is just being pulled away from... He's being pulled back to the shore towards you away from Wilbur. Okay. Um, I'm going to... As I reach him, I'm going to pull out the spray bottle that McAllister gave me Uh and just starts heckin' spraying just all of the ones that are close to him. I believe it was water pistols. Uh. Oh, it was a water pistol. I'm so sorry. (laughs) It's funner. Um, Yeah, so Alistair pulls out the water pistol that McAllister gave him with the antibacterial solution and he's going to start spraying all of the lost that are close to Ernest. Mm -hmm. Um, And as soon as he... I assume they kind of start shying away from that and as soon as there's kind of a clear corridor towards towards Ernest, Alice is going to run up. Uh, Alice is going to grab, like, the back of his shirt and throw him forward into the water towards Wilbur as, like, a... <laughs> Just run off, kick him. Yeah, like, a boost to try and get him closer to Wilbur while I hold off. Ernest is pushed forwards and lands on his hands and knees about a foot away from Wilbur, and he has a second where he looks up at the complete darkness around him and sees these hands reaching for him, grabbing at him, and he remembers being just a little boy stuck in this jagged part between two rocks, knowing that the boats are on the other side. The screams still echoing in his ears and he can see these grisly hands with long taloned nails hair all over them trying to grab at him and one scraping down his back gashing in and drawing blood and he can remember being so scared and he just hears the echoing voice once again it's alright now it's alright now but you've got a job Ernest. You've got a job Ernest. And he is going to kick off the ground, sending a, like a spurt of rocks into the air. And he is going to grab Wilbur around the stomach and lift him up out of the water and start just kicking and running as hard as he can through the, the lost back onto the shore. Okay, so that is a six. So I guess your assist will go on top of that. Alistair gets an 11. All right. So do you want to count that as a 15? Yeah. yeah. So Alistair is spraying left and right with this antibacterial uh, concoction that Dr. Pike had invented. And anywhere it hits on the lost seems to steam and hiss like vinegar meeting bicarb soda. Uh, It burns them away and they, they fall back in these sort of silent gurgling shrieks. Um, left and right, Alistair is clearing a path. He is disturbing uh, the huddle. He is breaking it apart and giving you a clear exit. Right, you grab Wilbur around around the waist. You lift him up. You haul him out of the water. As you do so, the hands of these pale, thin figures begin to reach out for you from the water and you can see that there is row upon row upon row of them there is dozens there's hundreds of them in this lake as you begin pulling him out splashing back through the water just make a quick roll for me um 11 all right uh it's an odd thought because it comes in the middle of all these things 
but there's something about the smell, something about the texture. You are sent back to a lecture that you had on biology when you were doing your veterinary course, and you realise what this lake is. Uh, you kind of tips to it a little when you realise, no, that's not water, that's not what how water works. And a phrase, a word flashes in your mind. Cerebrospinal fluid. Now, Ernest knows that to be the fluid that encompasses and protects the brain. And you realise that that's what this lake is. This is a lake of cerebrospinal fluid protecting a brain. Ernest holds back a vomit (laughs) and starts moving. As you kind of make this realisation, you are pulled from it quite literally by Alistair grabbing your arm and heaving you quite forcefully out of the pool uh, as he's making a a doorway, essentially, with the spray. He's like, all right, time to make an exit. It's brain juice! What? It's brain juice! Brain juice! What are you... What? It's brain! It's brain! What's a brain? The lake! The lake's a brain! The lake's a brain! Okay, great! (laughs) And Alistair keeps spraying and kicking and all sorts of things. Around you, the lost corporately give this hideous rattling shriek from dozens of mouths that is then echoed by those coming out of the lake. Mother is still uh, communicating through Wilbur. A distress signal is fight or flight and there are dozens of them. You are incredibly outnumbered and as you turn surrounded by these gaping black mouths, these grabbing hands, these staring dark eyes, these rattling mouths, these rattling cries, you turn your attention to the way out and you see standing at the top this parapet looking down, you see Gilpender and the Children of the Tide and you hear Gil's voice The inner sanctum, behold the place where mother will bring about the downfall of all. Um, And you can see members of the children scrambling down this path towards you. Um, uh, You can see that Gil is bandaged up. He has uh, bloodied bandages wrapped around his neck, around his shoulder. He is being semi-carried, semi-assisted by two members of the Tide, and his mind seems to be gone. He is just raving. His hair is standing on end. There is this mad staring in his eyes and almost this froth in his mouth. Oh, save it for the jury, Gil. Ernest, knock him out. No, not... Willa, knock him out now. Do it. Uh, Trust me, do it. I've got a better idea. And Ernest is going to a better kind of what? pull uh, Wilbur around to face him and is going to look at him. And he's going to put his hands on either side of Wilbur's head and is going to lightly headbutt him. They both sort of slump. Great, great, wonderful, great. Just leave me to deal with it, great. And I kind of bring them both close to me. All right, you're spraying more and more of this pump pack of stuff. Uh, roll a d20 for me. Eight is, that's about how many more of the lost you can spray down to keep away from you. Okay. So you are running well, out. You've a used a bit well. over half. Um, yeah, the children are running in. You can see that the children are shoving um, the lost aside. They're like trying to interact. They're trying to get to Wilbur too. Gil is still screaming overhead. You can hear the garbled words. He's saying, it's time, children of the tide, as mother commands. <laughs> it's time. The time is right. Kill the boy. Wake the tide. Let nothing stand in your way. As all of this cacophony and chaos is coming down, 
Right, back to Ernest. Um, as your forehead touches Wilbur's, you are again into this space, but this time it's more difficult. This time you're not being pulled in like a show of power. This time you're having to fight your way in. He can see the dark space where he was standing before, where he heard the words, and he's trying to grab and dig his way back into that room of sorts. Uh, He stabs his hand in and he sends out like a bolt of electricity the memory of his brother and his granddad trying to teach him how to light a fire, remembering his brother joking about making him light it with two sticks. A memory is shot back at you um, of a small girl and a hand raised and a father a slap across the face as like an answering shot. He brings his hand up and slams it down again, remembering how happy he was when his mum, who had spent months and months saying no to letting him start cub scouting because his dad didn't really like that all of his sons were doing that to his granddad finally talking them into it and being known that he was allowed to go on the new camp for that summer. All right, you push this new memory in, you make ground, you claw back space from this dark, cold nothingness. The rejoinder, another shot back, uh, a young woman standing in front of a poster that's on a wall, freshly put up, war with Germany declared. He brings his hand up again and smashes it down and thinks of the first test that he aced at his veterinary school and how proud he was to have achieved something on his own um again you're clawing ground away you seem to be making progress every shot that comes back at you um the the cold nothingness bites into you it's like frostbite almost but you keep battling forwards again you feel another memory shot back at you this time standing in front of a panel of judges your work rejected the last six months of work poured into this project dismissed out of hand he digs his hand in thinking of getting the letter back from the hook bar uh, ranger station approving his application to be hired there you take more ground this time there is a new voice this is another memory pushed in not against you but with you and it's a memory of wilbur and his mum he's sitting on his father's knee they are telling him a story he is very happily clinging to his father Erst reaches his hand up again and punches down again and thinks of pulling Alistair out away from the, the tendrils of the creature in the, um, the abandoned ship and pulling him up and then the two of them running up onto the top deck. Right. A rejoining shot, this time back from the coldness. Winter, a frozen field, a frozen lake, bare hands scrabbling at the ice, trying to retrieve something lost under it. A hand from the other side, underneath the water, scrabbling at the surface of the ice, unable to break free. Another one from Wilbur now, this memory again um, of being held tight by his mother at his father's funeral. A sense of loss, of confusion and grief, of being unable to understand, but knowing that his mother is there and has him. And this pushes forward, takes more ground back. You are slowly but surely taking Wilbur's mind back for Wilbur. Ernest digs in with his fingernails, thinking of the time that he and Alistair 
joined a gang and spent an evening after a very exhausting meeting running around with a bunch of kids and going on car races and how stressed he was, but how much fun it was as well. Right. This is pushed further by Wilbur's memories of Alistair giving him the book of Ernest's smile, of laughing little jokes, of being with his mother again. It pushes and pushes and pushes, and more and more uh, Wilbur is leading this fight. More and more Wilbur is forcing his way back into his own mind. And then he brings his hand back, his hands feeling like he's torn the, the nails away, they're bloodied, and he instead jams his head forwards, breaking through, thinking of Bernie and the first time he met him and how much he was the first person whoever before Alistair before anyone was the first person to really talk to him mm-hmm. right that memory forces through and this flood of Wilbur's own memories memories of his mother of his father of friends at school at being safe at home overwhelm and stream through that gap, that crack that you've created, and it pushes and pushes and pushes until that dark, cold numbness is expelled and flushed out of Wilbur's mind. And as you fall backwards, mental exhaustion overtaking you, you break the connection and you drop back. And as you are falling backwards onto the ground, you can see the white clear from Wilbur's eyes and the blink and those large hazel eyes looking back at you, Wilbur's again. Meanwhile, Alistair, you are in utter chaos. This is pitched battle between uh, children of the tide grappling with the lost who are fighting tooth and nail to protect and keep Wilbur while they are also trying to take Wilbur from Ernest. You are trying to protect Ernest and Wilbur um, and keep the children of the tide at bay. All of the children have now streamed down into this um, this space with you. You are basically on a pitched battlefield between the water and the the lost that have been in the lake. As you you kind of see it out of the corner of your eye as you are moving back and forth, your attention so distracted. Those in the lake have stopped moving. There are some standing. There are some still half out of the water, but they've frozen. It's like whatever was pulling them out has ceased. Uh, they're no longer moving back or forwards so I'm trying so I've got the lake behind us and the hill or hill the, the, the rocky slope in front of us which is the children of the tide to come from and then we're surrounded on both sides by the lost right mm-hmm. so I think I was trying to move directly towards the the slope and the exit when the children of the tide came in and now I'm trying to move us to the side essentially hoping that the children of the tide will distract enough of the lost that I can I can get us out and at least free of of that. Um, again, just just trying to move out. Um, and I've also now transferred the the water pistol to my left hand and I've drawn the pistol in my right hand. I'm still just using the water pistol yep. on the loss, but I'm trying to get it free enough that we're out of immediate danger from the lost at least. Right, you're moving out to the side. You are trying to break away from the pitched battle. The Lost are still following you. They're still scrambling. They're doing everything in their power to get to you. Ernest is weak and moving. He's pulling Wilbur with him. Wilbur seems to be moving on his own again. Uh, You are not quite sure what's been happening there. Right, you can see now that Gil uh, stumbling and 
trying to keep his balance, a crazed look in his eyes, making a beeline straight for you. You can see that he is holding the knife, the very same knife he used to stab Bernie. And he's making a beeline for you and you can see him shouting, no more interference. The boy is ours. Mother is on our side. Alistair seeing Gil coming towards him is going to very quickly and very directly and forcefully turn to Ernest and say, did you break the connection? Handing the flare off to Wilbur, sways a little bit, tries to focus on you, can't quite, and takes the the uh, crossbow off of his belt and loads it with another bolt and looks up at you and like shrugs like, of course. Alistair raises his right hand with the pistol in it, levels it towards Gil and fires. Uh, that's an 11. Uh, Gil rolled a 12. Okay. Just as Alistair is about... He, he points the gun towards Gil, and as he squeezes the trigger, he closes his eyes, and his mind immediately leaves the cabin, cavern and rushes back to the dream that he had and the feathered figure. And I'm going to substitute Gil's roll with the five that I rolled in the dream last episode. All right. Yep. So using my premonition, um, so it, was that just an opposed? Yeah, it was opposed to see if he would duck out of the way or something. Okay. Yeah, so I draw my pistol and take aim, close my eyes, and shoot Gil. You shoot him in the chest, not far from where Randy shot him uh, only hours earlier. Uh, you can see as he, he reels back and then stumbles forwards and falls to his knees, still holding the knife He's felt the impact, but it's almost like he doesn't know what's happening. He's still raving at you. He's still trying to shuffle on his knees towards you. Ernst is going to pick up Wilbur with his kind of shaking legs and hold him, like, on, like get him onto, like, a piggyback thing. It's like, don't look, don't look. All right, you do that. You stand. Like, all right, Ernest, get him out of here. All right, as you stand up, Ernest, as Wilbur buries his face in um, the back of your neck, the lost surge around you again um, in this powerful wave. They grab Gil and Gil is drawn backwards as they begin tearing at him, pulling him away. Anything and anyone that is getting in this way. Alistair's hand kind of twitches as he's never shot anyone before. Um, and as he sees Gil stumble and start to be grabbed by the lost, Alistair puts the gun, like lowers the gun and makes direct eye contact with Gil. Um, and he says, face your demons, Gil. You can see the panic in his eyes as he is now beginning to realise what's happening and maybe even the gun shot is now beginning to actually dawn on him. And he, he's looking at you panicked and he says, mother, help me, as he's drawn backwards and they begin to tear at him. Alistair turns and pays attention to the loss now. Now that the connection with mother is broken, they are simply acting on instinct they're fighting anything that is in this inner sanctum one in particular Ernest heads straight for you now make an opposed you with disadvantage because you have Wilbur uh, so that's a four alright it's the same as the lost so you're grappling you go for the crossbow um, it's arm goes out to grab the crossbow and you're struggling with it uh, Alistair same deal two of them are going to try and grab you uh, okay. the children on the tide definitely losing this fight some of them are beginning to try and scupper away trying to run okay. um, as the horde of the lost in full force is now um, on the attack so make a roll I rolled an 11 again that's like the third 11 um, do I have advantage for firearms 
Uh, no, you just have proficiency, so you can use them now. Whereas okay. if you were trying to use them beforehand, I would have given you disadvantage because you don't know what you're doing. Okay. Uh, so I got an 11. What did it get again? Uh, I got a 9. Which one? Uh, the first one. That's a good point. Okay, so... And the other one got a 6, so... Shoot one of them in the head, and then the other one I, I'm going to spray. All right, you spray that one. Um, you think that there is a clear path, and then they begin to close in again more and more. And then you hear the, your own gunshot has echoed out. And then it's like there is an echoing report back again, and you see one of the lost in front of you fall. It drops to the side as something passes through its head, and it's gone. It drops to the side. Again, another one is dropped. Um, and you see that they are beginning to fall like flies around you as report after report, crack after crack echoes out. Both of you roll for me. Alistair gets a four. It's Ernest's turn for the 11. All right. <laughs> um, Alistair, you don't know what's happening around you, but you are heading um, and it takes you longer. Ernest, being a bit further back, you can see. Uh, you you know exactly where to look. You direct your eyes to this parapet, this entrance to the tunnel, and you can see a number of figures standing there. The cavalry has arrived, but standing at the front, rifle aimed down over the stones. You can see a familiar figure, bloody and bandaged. You can see Officer Bernie Todd with his rifle out, picking off lost after lost after lost clearing a path for you behind him you can see randy just sprinting down this path no 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 randy takes a flying leap over the edge of the parapet lands in like karate pose on the on the scree and then starts sprinting towards the nearest lost see Chief and uh, Gina. Gina is also unslinging a rifle from her shoulder and beginning to take shots too. They're clearing a path for you. Chief has a megaphone and he's talking out over you. Attention children of the tide. Uh, you're all under arrest for several cases. Firstly, this is private property. Uh, several other things. We'll get to that after. But yes, you're all under arrest. Uh, can we all quiet this down please? Thank you. Second of all, you're all bloody idiots. Leaning heavily on Chief, you can see the pale figure of Nancy. Um, On her feet now, she still seems to be dripping black ooze out of her nose, um, but she is with them. Behind them, you can see Dr. Pike is still handcuffed. Um, The the full cavalry has arrived. You can see McAllister and Charlotte too. All right, Randy is um, forcibly like pushing, shoving, kicking his way through the crowd towards you. Just fly kicks them in the face. (laughs) Fly kicking people. He he has two water pistols, but he's not using them. He's just kicking. Yeah, Uh, and there is there is now a clear path of exit as the two of you start making uh, a beeline for uh, the trail that leads back up to the exit. Mm-hmm. You make your way through as you reach the top. Um, Bernie is still in position. He's still picking off the lost that are trying to follow, trying to make their way up the ramp as uh, Randy is kind of bringing up the rear, spraying people down, throwing a rock here, kicking there. Ah! Uh, he's very very much like swashbuckling this whole situation. Uh, Bernie is so focused, but he, he tips a salute, the two-finger salute um, to you as you rush past him. 
Uh, you get to Chief and Chief says, All right, let's uh, wind it up. Time to get out of here. All right, he hands off Wilbur to um, to Charlotte. Charlotte takes him. She's checking his his pulse, checking his eyes as they begin to move. Uh, she and McAllister are leading the way up the path. Um, Bernie and Randy seem to be holding uh, holding the back as they retreat. And the Children of the Tide, um, a few of them are trying to escape with you. Once Alistair realises that Wilbur is safe and that we're under no more danger necessarily from um, from the Children of the Tide and his main objective, i.e. get Wilbur out, um, is completed, I, like, grab you on the back and I say, Ernest, like, trying to get you to turn around, basically. Ernest kind of slows a little bit and turns slightly but is still walking forwards. Alistair punches you in the face and tackles you to the ground. Okay, as you hit Ernest, you get a, a similar flash to like the one when they were under the water together. You see a flash that you don't completely understand. So what you see is from Ernest's perspective, he, what you see is a campfire and around it are a bunch of shredded tents. And you see something silhouetted in front of the fire that is reaching out. You see a large creature, but it's it looks incredibly unwell. You can see its ribs showing through its matted fur. Its mouth is chattering. It has the the face of like a deer almost, but it has this long body with these stretched out arms and is reaching towards you. And you see something else moving in the background. Alistair pushes you to the ground and kind of blinks back the, the f- sense of this memory because this has never happened to him before um, save that one time uh, at the split fin and he blinks back and he looks at Ernest dead in the eye and he says listen and he's like surprisingly less aggressive than you thought given that he's just <laughs> hit you in the face he looks at you and he says listen I know about the camp. I know what happened to you. I know you're one of the only people to survive. And and he kind of... You haven't noticed this, but Alistair still has your brother's jacket. Um, and he pulls it out. He had it, like, tied around his waist. And he pulls it out and puts it on your chest and says... I don't know who your brother was. And I don't know what he had to do with what happened to you. But you listen to me. Just because you survived does not give you the right to choose who can risk their lives in your place. I I know why you did what you did before but you don't get to make that choice. Ernest flashes his hand out and grabs you around the the shirt and pulls you down, like, face to face with his, and he kind of spits at you. You think I get to choose? I know you tried to. He told me to get them out. Twenty kids are dead. Because I messed it up. I'm not going to screw it up again. And he's going to push you off him. Alistair lets you push him off. And he says, 
You're not the only person who's made mistakes, Ernest. From his pocket, he pulls a Swiss army knife with a wooden handle and he opens the blade and points it to you. You are not the only person who has blood on your hands. I know it's tough, okay? I can't even begin to imagine what it's like being you. But that doesn't mean you have a right to imagine what it's like to be me. This is all I have left of him. This is it. And he gives you your brother's jacket. Ernest takes the, the jacket and puts it on. I tried to tell them. I tried. Nobody listens to me. But that doesn't mean I get to choose who else is going to risk their life. At least I had a choice to save you. And you do not deny me that choice. And I didn't speak up. And now he's the monster. Every week I'd go out and clean graffiti off his grave. Because my parents weren't going to do that. I don't choose Alistair. I've spent my entire life thinking that it was my fault and that I could have done something to save him. And if you're anything like me, you've done the same. But it's not your fault. Ernest looks down a little bit and says, But I could have done more. I know. We did more today. Ernest slows down, stops, and puts his hands on his knees and kind of buckles over and just looks at the ground and says, If he can forgive me. You tried. That's all you could do. There's nothing to forgive. I'm sorry. Alistair walks over and straightens you up and hugs you. And he holds you very tight. Ernest takes a second and then hugs him back. begin to filter out into the the crag, the cleft in the rock, the entrance uh, to this cave. You can hear commotion from below you as uh, Bernie, Randy and Gina are bringing up the rear, keeping um, the lost at bay. A couple of the children have scampered past you. You assume they're probably going to be arrested or something as they've kind of booked it past you. Maybe only three or four of the, the 15 that went down. As you reach uh, the entrance to the cave, you can see the rest are standing outside. The sky uh, has begun to clear from the storm. Uh, there are still heavy clouds. Pre-dawn, it's maybe 5.30 in the morning at this stage. Uh, there is no sunlight yet, but there is the, the dawn, pre-dawn greyness. You can see them all standing. You can see that Wilbur is clinging tight to, um, to his mother, to Maria, who is there. Uh, whether she had been bringing up the rear or had waited outside, you don't know. You hadn't seen her before. Um, but he's holding close to his mother. Uh, you can see Chief and Nancy. Nancy is being um, sat down and Chief is checking on her. You can see 
all of these people that have been around you for the last several months um, gathered here. As you exit, uh, Bernie, Randy and Gina pass you. Uh, Bernie stops by the two of you. Um, He kind of goes to say something. Bernie. Uh, Hi, Ali. Hey. We... We thought... Yeah, I, I know. Uh, well, when when your um, uh, when your boss gives you an order to pretend that you're dead, I don't want to lose my job. Chief is over with Nancy. Like, all right, how many thing, how many fingers am I holding up? He's like putting up three fingers, taking them down, putting up two, taking them down, bringing up three. He's like, how many fingers? Randy is standing there with a the clipboard, furiously like watching them both and very intently taking notes. Um. Bernie pulls you in for a hug, Alistair. He says, um, Ali, I'm sorry. Um, I know I would have scared you, and I, I, I knew that I did when I made the call, but, well, Chief thought it was a good idea to have a... Well, something up our sleeve, and I guess that was me. Sorry I didn't arrive earlier. Better not do that again. Ooh, No. No, no, uh, that's not happening again. Chief walks over and claps Bernie on the back and says, it's called a unifying factor. It, it brings a group together. I found it's quite useful, especially when I was in Nam. <laughs> Bernie winces in pain. He's like, oh, I did get stabbed, you know. Yeah, Bernie the stab gr- wasn't faked. <laughs> Bernie goes, mm-hmm. <laughs> you'll be right, soldier. You'll be right. <laughs> um, uh, Bernie also gives Ernest uh, a hug and says, did a very good job, son. Very brave. Uh, Chief uh, claps his hands together now that everyone's sort of assembled, and he goes, "Right, well, that was a roaring success, everybody. Hand, like, claps all around, claps all around. Congratulations, fabulous job. You're all no longer uh, deputized. Whoever said you were deputized, you were no longer deputized. That was a state of emergency. It's not the case anymore. All right, just letting you know." Um, roll. <laughs> the two of you roll for me. Nine. Eleven. All right. Um, you are watching this scene. You are aware of everything that's going on. You are kind of letting some of the tension and the stress seep away. Um, but you hear footsteps coming out of the cave behind you. And as both of you turn, um, Alistair, you've never, you haven't, you've seen this man. You recognize him. Um, but it's a surprise. Ernest, you see Sherman Grimshaw coming out of the tunnel behind you with no backpack, um, but the gun at the ready as he uh, stands in the entrance to the cave. And uh, says, oh, man, he's alive. Alistair Hello, Sherman. Instinctively draws his pistol and points it at Sherman because he has no idea who this person is. He assumes it's like Children of the Tide or something. Yeah, Sherman is standing there. He's paying no attention to you. He is staring at Gina. Chief is like, ooh. Oh, uh, 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 he's going to go back over to Nancy and do the finger thing again. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Gina steps forward. She has her own rifle, as a matter of fact. She she is shaking with fury. You can see that she's gone pale. She's holding the gun. She like tenses her fists around it and she throws it to the ground and she storms forward to Sherman. 
And as she does so, she's obviously going to try and beat him. <laughs> Sherman points the gun at her and says, I wouldn't do that, sis. Wouldn't want to upset dad now, would you? And um, you see now that he is holding in his free hand a cord of rope and he gives it a tug. And coming, following out of the, the tunnel is the figure of Chief Ranger Lester. And he is... Uh, fully one of the lost now he is pallid the the gunk is streaming everywhere um, but he shuffles he moves um, Gina stops and she's staring and she says in a very shaking voice dad Sherman what the hell is going on here you explain yourself and Sherman just smiles and says look um you can consider this my formal resignation, sis. I'm really not interested in uh, working under you. But I thought you might like to see Dad one last time. Ernest is going to kind of skirt around them and move close to the chief. Uh, Sherman, while you're moving close to Lester, Sherman is talking to his sister and says, You know, I don't really take uh, very kindly to being lied to, sis. Now, I don't care what you and Dad cooked up between the two of you, but you don't get to send me out like your little toy soldier and tell me to go and do my job and not expect me to actually understand. Well, guess what? I do understand, and I understand that this has gone on long enough. This whole palaver, this whole mess, these people who, by the way, were real people with families and dreams and people that they cared about... Well, they're all dead, and they're dead because we didn't do anything. They're dead because we covered up the stuff that happened before. They're dead because we never dealt... He points back at the crag, the cleft in the rock. Because we never dealt with what is living in our island. And that is on you for not standing up, and it's on me for not standing up. Well, I'm standing up now, and I'm calling an end to it. And he pulls... Um, he drops the gun, and he pulls from inside his coat... Uh, what Alistair would recognise, and most of people would recognise, uh, as a short-range uh, transmitter and activator. He says, You know, you guys have got a pretty good team here. Cause enough of a distraction for me to actually, uh, well, plant a few little homemade explosives. I'm going to bring the whole thing down. I don't know if that's going to kill it, but it's going to stop it from getting outside again. It's going to stop it from taking more people, Gina. But I thought you might want to say goodbye to Dad before you did it. Before I did it. So this is the moment. And everyone is kind of staring, a little bit stunned. They're not entirely sure. For, for everyone else's sake, uh, they don't know where this guy's come from or really what he's talking about. But Gina <laughs> has very much clocked what's going on. And Gina turns to her her father. Now, Ernest, what are you doing? Ernest is going to reach out and touch him and form a relay similar to what he did in the submarine with the guy there. Okay. Um, make a roll for me. That's a nat 12. All right. If it was anything less than a 10, it wouldn't have worked. But with a nat 12, um, it's like wading through a swamp. There is so much gumming up the works. The thought process is so lost that it is hard to make out anything. But you find these little strings, these little pieces of memory of thought. And um, 
They relay through your voice. They're disjointed. They're hard to put together. But Gina does get to hear through your voice her father one more time. And he says, I'm proud of you both. You have no idea how much I love you both. After your mum, you two kept me going. I'm just sorry I... I wasn't better for you. And I, I don't know where I am now. I feel like I'm slipping, like... Like there's nothing to come back to. But that's okay. Take care of each other. Gina. Sherman. I love you. And then whatever connection was there breaks. There's not enough left inside his mind. His body is dead. His mind is kept alive in some sense by the bacteria in him. But whatever is left of him is gone. Sherman's crying. Gina is like screwing up her fists. Um, and she is trying hard not to cry. Gina rolled an eight. Sherman rolled a six. Uh, Gina punches him in the stomach. <laughs> she punches him in the stomach and takes the detonator from him. <laughs> and she goes, You are in so much trouble. Idiot. And she goes to give him a hug. While this is happening, everyone is distracted. This is a fairly, a fairly dramatic moment. Uh, so no one notices um, as Dr. Pike uh, moves up behind Randy. She was standing close behind him anyway, and with her handcuffed hands, she reaches forward and she pulls his revolver. She pulls his gun from his holster and she points it straight at Wilbur and Maria. And just as Gina is hugging her brother and beginning to cry in earnest, you hear Dr. Pike's voice ring out like, I think that's enough. All right. I have a very simple demand. Someone said that there was a chopper on its way. Well, I am getting on the chopper. and I'm taking these two and no one is following me. Do you understand? Ernest is going to spin around and is going to rush up. All right. So you are rushing. Randy's first going to roll. I'm just going to roll like an unarmed attack, which is a nine to try and get the gun off her. All right. She beat you. Okay. You might hate me. All right. She's pulled the gun. She's turned. She's holding it on Maria and Wilbur. To her left, Maria and Wilbur on her right. To her left, Randy, who has realized what's happening, has spun round and dives for her. He's going, that's my gun. You it's can't. mine. It's mine. Um, as he does so, she swings back. And as he is in such close proximity, his hand going for the gun, her swinging around. As soon as Randy's hand closes around the muzzle of the gun, she pulls the trigger. There is a resounding crack as the bullet shatters through through his left hand. There is blood sprays both Randy and Dr. Pike. Um, I'm going to roll. Randy loses three fingers on his left hand. The pinky, forefinger, and middle finger, and that whole chunk of his hand. He's left with his um, his index and his thumb. So this happens. Randy is jolted backwards. Blood is spattering everywhere. Dr. Pike is quite shocked by what's happening. 
Ernest is going to rush her, only seeing what happened. He hasn't seen what's happened to Randy. So much all he's seeing is that she's shot and Randy is really Right, you are diving forwards. Roll for me. That's a four. All right. Um, you haven't noticed until now, and maybe it's only because it was in your jacket pocket and you've only just got your jacket pocket. There is a vibrating coming from your jacket. Um, and essentially your hand goes to it. You don't know what it is at first, but thinking almost like gut reaction, it's your phone ringing. You reach for it and take it. Uh, as you're moving forward, you realize you're holding the cube, the cube that Dagon gave you, the cube that you gave to Alistair, that Alistair gave back to you, that's being passed around, and you can feel it vibrating in your hand like a phone ringing. All right, what are you doing? Ernest is just going to try and... Because he's remembering a scene, something someone said in a gangster movie his dad was watching, which was, if they have a knife, run. If they have a gun, rush them. <laughs> and he's just like, ah, that's what I do. And he's just going to run, like run at her to try and like knock her over. All right, Alistair, what are you doing? I'm immediately going to point my gun at at uh, the doctor and also start running towards right. her. You're moving, Ernest, you're going to get there first. You're bringing up the rear for sure. Chief is reacting. Bernie is reacting. Bernie is um, drawing his rifle. Gina is looking. Chief is kind of putting his arms out and moving in front of Randy and in front of Maria and Wilbur. All right, Maria has turned her back. She's putting herself between uh, Pike and Wilbur. Uh, you can see the shock um, on Dr. Pike's face. She was not expecting to be rushed. She was not expecting this to go down the way it has gone down. She is uh, disorientated, as you can see. She's beginning to stumble back, getting to move away. She's looking for a way out as Ernest reaches her. What is Ernest doing? Ernest, still holding the cube in his hands, like looking at his peripheral vision, just reaches out and like grabs onto her and is just going to try and knock her to the ground. All right, you like hit her with the cube, <laughs> like both hands forward. <laughs> Into her. He's going to like grabbing onto her and like looking at the cube and he's just going to try and push it forwards into her hand that's holding the gun to kind of like push her hand up. All right, you do this uh, for a split second. Both of you are holding it. Now I want you to roll a d20 for me. D20? Yep. I just need Why? I need to pull up the table for what the cube does. That's better than I, I thought you were going to get shot and it was like d20 of damage. That's good. I got a seven. All right, seven, okay, good. Right, you push the cube that is vibrating violently now uh, in your hand. You push it into her wrist, into her hand. You actually knock the gun from her hand. Um, and for a split second, both of you are holding it. Uh, your right hand, I assume, and her left. Uh, and oh, am I about to lose a hand? I don't know if I could pull that same trick. Surely twice. not twice in the same scene. <laughs> And as you do so, you feel, as the, the two of you touch it, a force ripple down your arm from the cube, and you can see that it does the same thing to Dr. Pike. There is this moment of confusion where you feel this ripple through your whole body, and it's painful. It's like a stinging, burning sensation. And for the last moment, you are looking, you turn back over your shoulder, and you make eye contact with Alistair, who is running uh, to meet you. He is only two steps behind you. And you have just a split second. You can't really tell what Ernest says, but you've heard him say it enough times in the past, like, hour or so to kind of tell what he's mouthing. And he's mouthing... It's all right now. Mimicking the words that his brother said to him. Right. Uh, Alistair, you see this 
weird little object. It looks a little bit like a Rubik's Cube, except none of it's coloured. They're all small little uh, squares connected together um, that kind of jangle and, and clang. Uh, it is spinning in Ernest's hand. The internal workings of it are spinning it uh, faster and faster. And then you see this uh, magnesium flash of white and that flash earnest spreads throughout your entire body like burning fire and then there is a powerful bang that shakes the ground in that moment Alistair you are drawn back to the dream to the powerful bang like thunder that shook the ground you are drawn back and then that smell like burning ozone sort of chemical burning smell in your nostrils as you are shielding your eyes from the light Ernest uh, this burning sensation travels throughout your entire body and then you are gone Alistair as far as you can see there has been this white flash this humming this bang and Ernest and Dr. Pike are gone ripped from existence there is nothing but floating tendrils of ash and a a charred mark on the ground you slide into the mark as you fall to the ground. There is nothing left. There is nothing there at all. Ernest! 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 Oh, you came out from the woods where I was waiting. Said you were making time. Just like the like the dirt, yeah. He's dropped the gun, and he doesn't know what to do. You are only there for a split second before Bernie is next to you. He has an arm around you. He is doing the same thing. He is searching for any anything that is left, trying to understand what's happened. Chief is holding Randy, trying to stop the bleeding of Randy's hand. Uh, Maria is shaking. Wilbur is crying. Alistair and Bernie, you are kneeling in the mud and the dirt this blackened mark on the ground what is left of Ernest Marsh and Dr. Pike there is a shocked silence and little by little you come back to yourself, your ears are ringing you can see that dawn is breaking over the sea, the first light of day spreading out across the sky and it's when you hear it, the whoop 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 of a chopper incoming and you can see um, this thing is this is an American 1970s Bell helicopter. Um, it is. It looks in a complete state. There's bits of metal hanging off it. It looks shoddy as all hell. Uh, sitting in the seat, you can see uh, you can see Uncle Marv waving manically at you. Uh, you can see in the little side section, uh, Mayor Stern clinging on for dear life um, as the helicopter begins to put down. As the blade's still spinning, uh, Mayor Stern barrels out onto the ground. He's staying as low as he can, far lower than he really needs to as he is rushing forwards. 
Um, he can he's kind of taking in the scene that is chaotic and bizarre. Randy is bleeding all over the place. Well, I won't have any arthritis in that hand. God, that hurts a lot. Uh, he sees... Uh, he takes in the scene. He skids to a stop in front of Alistair and seeing that Alistair is distraught and shocked. Uh, he also kind of drops down beside him and puts his arms around Alistair. Alistair's looked around and has seen the helicopter and he knows what's happening. But he looks back at the ground with the charred mark and he leans towards his dad very slowly and he says, he can't be gone. forwards in time two weeks it is late summer in the archipelago uh, we see a small montage if you will of uh, the characters that we have left we see Gina and Sherman Grimshaw sitting on the front steps of a cabin behind uh, the ranger station sharing a cup of tea and talking they are tense but they are talking uh, we see Rhett leading a tour past of um, school children on a hike uh, explaining different species of tree. We move to the police station where Randy, bandaged up, is trying to figure out how to type uh, up a report using uh, mostly one hand and the other index finger. But he's only he's only like using his two index fingers. Like yeah. for some re- like he's not using obviously the three fingers he's missing on his left, but he's also not using his whole right hand for some reason. He's just using his index fingers yeah. and complaining about why it's taking so long. Yeah, we see Chief leaning over him, like pointing pointing out things on his report. We see the hook by General Hospital, uh, Nancy in a hospital bed, hooked up to several different tanks, uh, an oxygen mask. She is still severely unwell, but is being treated. And Bernie uh, sitting in a chair next to her bed, reading aloud to her. Inexplicably, Bernie is reading Nightmare at 20,000 feet aloud to uh, the sleeping Nancy. And we move to the docks, finally, where we see the ferry uh, coming in. Alistair Stern with several bags packed. We see Mayor Stern. uh, He is holding Nara and trying very hard not to sneeze uh, and standing next to him. Uncomfortably close with an arm around the mayor uh, is Uncle Marv as they are seeing Alistair off. Alistair has an old leather suitcase in his right hand, um, a wooden guitar case in his left hand, and a backpack. And he looks at his dad and he goes, Dad, you look after Nara, okay? Uh, yep, Ali, I, um, I promise I won't rehome her. Again. Marv, do you want a cat? Marv goes, ah, number nine. What about number eight, Marv? 
I already had a number eight. This is no cat number nine. Dog's different. Oh, sorry. And Alistair kind of looks awkward for a minute. He doesn't know what to say. And he just kind of nods. And he's like, uh, Mayor Stone hands Nara to Marvin. All right, that's yours now. Uh, and he kind of brushes his suit down. He's wearing his gray suit with the salmon pink tie. His personal assistant, Brent, who you have not seen for a while, uh, is standing by on the phone. Uh, Marv just hands the cat on to Brent. Brent is unsure of what to do with the cat while he's also trying to juggle the phone. Mestern steps forward and um, uh, hugs Alistair and says, look, you um, you give us a call when you're, you're safe. Uh, you don't need to tell your mum I said hi. Um, I mean, you can if you want. You can, you can do you do what you like. That's that's, that's all right. Um, it's probably good to, to get away and have a, have a little time to think. But um, well, I'll, I'll keep your room how you like it. Um, yeah, just uh, don't be a stranger. Thanks, Dad. Um, goodbye. And Alistair steps away from his father, turns and walks up the plank to the ferry, and stands next to McAllister who is also standing on the railing waiting for him the ferry begins to pull out and Alistair watches um, as the figures of his father and his uncle become smaller and smaller and drop away and for perhaps the first time ever in his life he is leaving the archipelago behind Uh, he watches the islands disappear one by one he moves out into the deep wide ocean out into the possibilities that are before him with a single conviction in his mind and in his heart and it's not gone I'm gonna find him and I know you're out there in the shadows I know you're out there in the shadows I know listeners for joining us for this end of the first season of Dark Tides. I'm your host show creator and narrator Orby Lydon. Now rest assured there will be a second season uh, coming forthwith. We're going to be taking about a month's break to uh, sort out some of our Patreon bonuses and a few exciting projects we have going on over there Uh, and then we'll be back in about a month's time with season two so stay tuned. You can uh, keep up to date on news and releases and a few little uh, tidbits about Season 2 on our social media. You can check that out at Facebook, 
at facebook.com slash darktidespod, reddit at r slash darktides, twitter at twitter.com slash darktidespod. Uh, you can also check out our Patreon if you're looking for a little more Dark Tides goodness during the break. Uh, we have our discussion show after every episode, Breaking Tides, uh, where you can hear all about our thoughts about the episodes and characters, drama games, we play that sort of stuff. And we have a few Patreon bonus adventures, uh, one-shots with Ernest and Alistair that are loosely canon, uh, let's <laughs> say. So until next time with Season 2... We will see you later, and stay safe out there. Bye-bye.